Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. So today we're excited to have Jen Creighton, and she is a senior software engineer at Netflix, and she also hosts her own podcast called Single Threaded. Uh, so you can go check that out. We can link it in the description. How are you doing, Jen? Welcome. Uh, I am slightly sleep deprived, but doing okay. I just got a puppy. So congratulations. That's pretty, that's a good reason to be sleep deprived. Like that's an exciting reason. It's a pretty good reason. We're also a little foggy from having COVID for a while ago. So, you know, we're all on the, all on the same page, but we're really excited to bring this episode to you about async JavaScript because it's nasty and everybody could probably use some tips and some, you know, time to talk about the best way to approach some of the problems that, you know, you face every single day when you're writing JavaScript. Uh, so if there's anything that you want to like interject with while we're going on about our particular set of topics, totally throw in, but I'd love to kick it off with why is async JavaScript so hard? It's nasty. And, you know, is it, is it because it's JavaScript? Like JavaScript gets a lot of hate, especially nowadays. So what's your, what's your take on that? Oh, well, first let me address JavaScript gets a lot of hate. Um, JavaScript does get a lot of hate, but note how many people use JavaScript as their first language. So I think that does say something about the accessibility of it or how fun it can be to work with in terms of uh, UI and its many applications. I think JavaScript is a fun, fun language. That said, async, async JavaScript. Whew. Okay. Some, some of what makes async JavaScript difficult is, I mean, look, async stuff is hard anyway. Like our brain doesn't want to work that way. It's not meant to work that way. We don't have a really good idea of nonlinear time as humans. Um, and async is just generally nonlinear. Um, so saying like A, then B, then C makes sense to us. Saying A, C, B, C again, B, A again is like very confusing. Um, that doesn't make sense to us. But then on the JavaScript side, I mean, there are so many different ways to do async JavaScript. Because JavaScript has to be backwards compatible because the web is built on it and you can break the web if you break something in JavaScript. We have a history that is kind of weird in JavaScript and some of that has to do with like async stuff too. Um, so you're no longer just dealing with what you used to deal with, right? You used to deal with maybe like set timeouts, um, then promises. Now you have async away. It's it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot it changes a lot. It changes fast, which can be hard to keep track with. Now we get fetch just right in Node. You know that's that's wild. That's pretty great. Yeah, it's good, but it also it's just like you know also the different specifications for things because. You could use fetch in Node. It just wasn't supported. It was like, you know, you had to add it. And the specification for it, I think, wasn't exactly what the fetch specification was. And so not to a T. Yeah. So now they've aligned it. But then that's confusing to people who were previously using a different version of fetch. So even even that kind of stuff, like the compatibility of what the spec says versus what you're actually using. We had the same thing actually with promises as well. Like you had Bluebird, which um, created like um, had its own like specification for promises, and you could do things in Bluebird that you actually couldn't do with promises. 
interesting. What is an example of one of the things you could do in Bluebird that you couldn't? Because I feel like you can do almost everything. Like Now, but at the time. Okay, at the time. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So at the time, right? So again, like things things change pretty quickly. And so when something isn't available in the language right away or we don't fully have the spec fleshed out, sometimes libraries will come up with alternatives. And so like one thing you could do in Bluebird that you couldn't easily do um, was cancel promises. And even that's gotten like a little bit better now. Um, but you that was something that like you couldn't really do without Bluebird before. And on the debugging side, has that, in your opinion, really changed a lot? Because from my perspective, the things that I use in the Chrome developer tools have pretty much stayed constant since I have feel like I've really gone into web development. Granted, I haven't been doing it for like a decade or anything, but you know, do you think that those have really progressed? and changed in the way that maybe like the use cases of these types of features are in the language? There have been changes, but most, I would say still, and this is not a, I don't consider this an issue. A lot of engineers still do not use the debugger for async JavaScript um, or at all, like minor usage. If they're working with something like, say, React, they're probably going to use the React Dev tools, but not the Chrome debugger or the Firefox debugger. Those are still, I think, tools that not everyone reaches for. And so I'm not sure that everyone was as aware of what changes were happening in it over the last, like, say, decade as things got fleshed out. Because promises for a while in the Chrome debugger tools, for example, um, didn't have like a really good way of like monitoring them or seeing them or seeing the call stack. And they actually introduced at some point, like experimental features for promises in the debugger. It's not at the same rapid pace of development as JavaScript in general, though. It's not keeping up with that same sort of like explosion. Debugger tools mostly have stayed pretty similar. Um, For the most part, like I still use a lot of console.log and I love it. Nothing wrong with some console.log. Um, and then, you know, I started using, I really started using the developer tools when I was working on very heavy asynchronous. Like I started to figure out that that was actually the better way to like look at asynchronous code. But over the years, that hasn't changed so much. What's interesting now is that you do have this like explosion of developer tools happening with companies that are specifically for developer tooling. So like replay IO is one of them. Um, that one is like a whole new debugging experience. Um, and then there's some other companies that like work specifically now on like this thing, like how to make debugging better, not just async, but just like debugging in general. And you mentioned the, the async debugger, like in, in the, uh, Chrome developer tools that not a lot of people use it. Can you, can we touch on that and and talk about it? Why don't you think a lot of people use it and why is it so great? So it's not just for async code. I mean, it is just um, the debugger that will, you can, you can make it stop execution of your code and then inspect things. With breakpoints, right? Yeah. Yeah. With breakpoints. So uh, yeah. So for anyone who has never used this before, um, there are a lot of tutorials online that will teach you how to do this. Um, but you can set a, a breakpoint, um, and it will at that breakpoint when you start running your code, it will pause it, and the Chrome Developer Tools will take over 
your screen if that's what you wanted it to do. Um, and from then, you get to actually step through your code line by line if you want. Uh, it's a little confusing at first. And I think this is why a lot of people don't use it. There are a couple of confusing points about it. One is understanding the difference um, between stepping over, stepping into, stepping out of, stepping through your code. There are actually, you don't just get to go, oh, I want to go line by line by line. There is the step over function, which is the most common one that you might like press. And that will actually, if it encounters a function in the line, it will run the function, but it will not go inside of that. So we'll just run the function and then you'll go to the next line of code as if the function had just happened. Like you're reading a sheet of paper, right? Right. Yeah. Like you're reading a sheet of paper and it like, you know, references like something else. Like it'll just keep going. But if you wanted to step into that function, then you have to be intentional about the fact that you want to use the step in function. And so even as I'm talking about this, right, this seems like kind of overly complex. Um, and for the most part, I feel like the debugger is overly complex for most of the minor things that you might come across, right? You're not going to use it for syntax errors, and you're not going to use it sometimes for even runtime errors. You can probably figure those out, uh, which is the console.log. But when you're talking about wanting to be able to see how your program actually executes, which is the real value of using it for looking at async code, that's where you're going to want to figure out how the debugger works and actually use it. So that's when you have to also get better about, oh, I want to step over this function. No, I want to step into this one and actually look at it. You also have to um, understand how the side panel works. When you see like call stack, it'll give you actually the call stack on the side. Very useful for async debugging when you want to see where you actually are in that process. And also you can follow like variables and all these other things. But that said, like as I'm talking about it, again, it's it's a pretty complex tool that you have to learn on the side, essentially. I mean, I guess as part of your job, you could. Um, but it's something additional to learn is what I mean. And so a lot of people um, see that, see the complexity of trying to figure out well, I'm stepping over and I'm stepping in. What am I doing here? And are like, you know what? Console.log doesn't have these problems, and I'm out. And I get it, totally. I would reevaluate, though, for async code. I absolutely would. Console.log is just really easy. It's instant. You just drop in a line with a bunch of explanation points. You know where it is. And there's other useful console features, like console.table um, or console.dir. Um, there's like a whole bunch of like little helpful console things in addition to log. What does console.dare do? Um, it will actually print out um, an object for you. You know how currently if you try and do console.log, which is an object, you sometimes you'll get object, object. Right. right. Yeah, you won't have that problem. That's a cool trick. It's a fun little trick. I, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Or console.table will actually like lay it out in like a table format for you, like make it all nice and pretty. Don't have to call json.stringify on like everything Yeah. that I print out. So. Like when, when do you immediately go to the more complex, maybe harder to reach debugging pain versus console.log? Because there are a lot of things that you can do with console.log if you just drop two or three statements and know where they are. Um, and it, has that changed as you've grown in your career? Um, maybe if you got more accustomed to things? Yeah. Yeah, that changed. I think 
Well, first, I went through a period that I think some engineers just go through where they're like, oh, I shouldn't be using console.log. There's like kind of like a weird little shame about it. I think there's no shame in it now. But at the time, I was like, no, if I want to be a real engineer, I need to use the debugger. And so like I learned the debugger. And then as it turned out, it was like a lot of lift for a lot of the smaller problems that I wanted to solve. Console.log was just quicker. And so I, I switched my thinking and I started really just relying a lot on console.log as like my first line of defense. I would just start doing that. And then over time, I would realize that, especially when it came to asynchronous JavaScript, that at some point that really didn't help anymore. At some point, I couldn't keep track of everything that was going on with console.log and having to remember the steps and order of how I expected it to work and how it actually did and what was getting logged when and where. And that's when I started reopening the debugger and being like, okay, well, what does it look like if I if I do this? And it was so much easier to figure out what was going on. Now, I almost always straight go for the debugger when I am in a brand new code base and I don't know how things connect. I almost always now use the debugger because it allows me to step through the code. doesn't even have to be asynchronous, just I need to know what calls what and the order of this. I've actually used the debugger to look inside the React source code and figure out how it worked. Um, I was just curious uh, and realized when I was doing that, that console.log was not serving me very well and opened up the debugger. And I was able to actually like follow along with like what the like order of how React would render things, right? So I got used to that. And then when I work on just like really heavy asynchronous like operations, I tend to just straight go for the debugger, um, not even bothering with console.log. When I worked on, I used to work at Apollo on Apollo Client, which is heavily async. And so if I was debugging something in that or trying to make a new feature, I was in the debugger. I was not bothering with console.log. There was no point to that. Um, Apollo Client is a complex async project. Like there was no point. Very cool project. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of magic things. I remember the first time using it was like, it felt like a very, um, it felt like the one time I got a ride in a Tesla and they put on the autopilot and like all my data just kind of came in because it's usually you have to do a lot of work to like make the graphs update and stuff. And it just kind of just did it. It for did you, its thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it magical. Really cool. But if you looked in the debugger, you would find out what it's doing and you'd be like, oh, it's not magic. It's JavaScript all the way down. Yeah, because in the debugger, right, you can drill down as far as you want. Yeah. Everything that's happening in the browser is right there for you to view and yeah. understand. And would you say this is a good way maybe to get accustomed to a new code base in general? Is it, you know, go run it and just step through it in the debugger? Yeah, yeah. I, I use that all the time, like I said. Whenever I'm dealing with a new code base, I'm almost always opening the debugger and going line by line. Um, also, pro tip, if you use the debugger, one of the slightly confusing things about it is that it will call library code for you. So if you have, for instance, a React application and you want to look at something in your application, you'll notice when you set the breakpoint and start stepping through in the debugger that it will eventually start calling React's code. It will actually start calling the library code. You can actually tell it to ignore that. So there is a way... Um, I forget off the top of my head, but you can Google it where you can find the file that you want it to ignore and tell it to ignore that. And you might have to do that like a few times with like different libraries. Um, but that way you'll skip over the library code and you'll go straight to your code. 
um, which will make um, the process so much cleaner when you're trying to use this for like figuring out an application that you've never seen before. Um, you can just ignore all those library files and then focus on your application code. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. And, and that kind of brings me into this point that I, I, I had a question about. You said sometimes using the debugger, you know, it is a lift. It was, or it was too much of a lift for the task I was trying to accomplish. So maybe like just to step into the weeds a little bit about a, actually debugging the stuff. What is some of that lift? of using the debugger and setting it up and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So one, you may not be working on a project where naturally the debugger is just easy to set up. So if you're working on UI and you are working in Chrome or Firefox, it's pretty easy. Um, but if you're working on Node, there's a little bit of setup, um, a little bit of figuring out how the heck this thing runs on Node. Um, I've, I've had to go through that recently where I was like, how did I do this again? I don't recall. And I have to look up tutorials um, and get it running. And then once you get it running, you know, it's there. Um, so one, you might be working on a system that like just naturally doesn't have the debugger like attached to it, like Node. Um, and even then, if you're in the Chrome dev tools, you have to do the thing, like I said, where you have to tell it like ignore library code. And that's not like a very quick process. Like I recently did a talk on this and to do my examples, I had to tell it to ignore the library code. And so I'd run my project and hit a library source and be like, okay, ignore this one. And I'd run it again and hit another library source. And I think I had to do it like three or four times before it finally was ignoring everything I wanted it to ignore. But that's a bit frustrating having to like do that kind of setup. And then some of the other things are like making sure you understand um, where you're setting the breakpoints um, and the stepping through and stepping out. So like you have to learn the debugger to some extent. It is a very full feature thing. There are a lot of features in the debugger. You probably don't need all of them. You probably just need a small subset of them. Um, but you might have to spend some time figuring out what those are. Um, and what is going to be of use to you. And when you're working with a debugger the first few times too, um, you're just like reorienting yourself to like how it works and what it does and just figuring out like, it did I do the breakpoint in the right place? Is this, uh, did I get the right thing that I need over here? Like it's just a lot more setup than console.log. But once you once you get it done like the first few times, I think it gets a lot easier. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, all those things are just overhead. I guess it changes project to projects and, and what libraries are there. So it's it's a, not a one and done. I learn it and then it's breeze. There is some investment involved. No, if especially. Yeah. If you're having to tell it constantly to ignore certain files, 
Um, yeah. So for people trying to get better at debugging async JavaScript, like for example, I had a, a you know a brother he's starting to get in JavaScript, w- wanting to learn how things work, and I was like, oh well, you should go learn really how the event loop works. Like actually understand what it does. What are some of those you know those types of parallels you can draw to what made you like mental models that really helped you start to understand async JavaScript and dive into debugging and thinking about it in a creative way. The event loop is, I'm glad you mentioned it. It's like one of the first things that when someone's learning async JavaScript, um, there is a talk and I'm so sorry because I've forgotten his name. It was from Scotland JS. I want to say it was like 2018 is on the event loop. It is the talk I send everyone when I'm like, you should learn the event loop. I send them this talk. Um, it is so good. It is so clear. It is perfect for understanding it. It was the one that I watched when I was like, I had just started like one of my first dev jobs and someone had done set timeout zero. And I was like, why are we setting it to zero? And they were like, watch this video. And I did. I was like, ah, the world makes sense again. Um, So I understood the event loop. So that's like the first thing you have to do if you want to understand async JavaScript. And then the next thing that you get to do is um, something I don't think is very commonly suggested, but is one of the main things that I suggest, which is not just doing tutorials that show you how to do everything correctly, but taking those things that you learned how to do you know, the right way. And then looking at what it looks like when the things break, like intentionally breaking things is one of the best ways that you can actually learn really well what it does and why. Well, what's an example of breaking something like infinite react render loop? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Like if you want to understand why the, um, Shoot, I forgot the term for it, but the square brackets, the dependencies are there um, in use effect. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you want to understand like why those are there, like break it, break it a million times. Like put, don't put them in and see what happens. Put them in, put them in, you know, just a few and see what happens. Um, for async JavaScript, it's going to look stuff like uh, what happens if I forget to return a promise? What happens if I want to do a dot catch? Um, but I do it before my dot then. What what will happen to the order of it? Um, if I want to throw an error, errors are a big deal in async JavaScript. Um, what will happen in this async await? Uh, what happens when I uh, forget to await a promise in async await? Um, all these things. So just like go in and like break it as much as possible and then like have some fun like figuring out like where it broke and why. Um, it will be a much better like education for you on like how these things work than just always being like, okay, the tutorial said to do X. So I do X, but you don't really know why, if that makes sense. Right. You have to be in the line of battle to really get it. I mean, get, get your hands dirty to really get it. Yeah. Problem solved on the spot. So we have, we have used the debugger. You don't need most of the things in, de- in the debugger, but it's really sure. useful. You should go use it. We have learned the JavaScript event loop. And is it is this talk, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the one where the speaker also made like a little website that you can go to and mm-hmm. visually put things on like the call stack? Yeah. The website's yeah. really good. I I love the the interactivity. That made it click for me it's- too. That video is the one. It's the one. 
It's how we learn the event loop, and there is no other option. In like 2150 or whatever, when the textbooks have moving pages, that video should just be uploaded for the event loop page. <laughs> it's so good. It's one of the best talks I've ever seen on JavaScript. So we have the event loop, and then we have go break things and observe how they break. And we and there's a lot of ways to observe it because we've step one was learn the debugger, right? So you can observe it in the debugger. And then everybody knows console log. That's step zero because we have to index from zero. And everybody starts with that. So and then use console.log. Should we add on more things? Are there more things that uh, you would come to mind or things that are any aha moments? When you were like debugging, you were you got really excited. You're like, wait, I'm starting to get how this works. If you can think back to them and be like, what what did I take away from that from that moment? I think being uh, kind to yourself when new things come out in JavaScript um, is nice. Like, so if you're listening to this and you're new at JavaScript, you're probably overwhelmed. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. You're gonna get there. Um, but on the inverse, if you've been in the field in a while and things keep getting introduced, sometimes it actually, even though you knew other things that were similar, like I've worked with promises for years, um, when async await came out, I actually struggled with it a bit. I got like the general sense of it and I was like, cool. But I was struggling with the differences between promises and async await and um, how to do the things I knew how to do in promises and async await. Um, and that actually took just some time. Again, I went and like I did a lot of like I would convert like a promise based uh, series of code into async await and like see if they worked the same and like intentionally tried to break them. I, I did that strategy again. And over time, like it finally started to like click of like, oh, you knew the rules for how this thing worked for a really long time. And async await is technically not that. It is that and it is not that at the same time. And that is just confusing. And it will just take time of working with it to get yourself used to it. That That's a good one because it's really tough. I mean, it's really easy to be tough on yourself. Yes. I, I know when I'm learning something, it's like I'll watch YouTube videos until you know it's way too late and you need to go to bed and like just got to like chill. Give yourself a break. That, yeah, that, I would get I would get frustrated with myself. I'd be like, you know, promises. How? Why are you struggling with this? Like, well, maybe it's it's a little different, and you're gonna need some time. Yeah, some time. Sleep does wonders. It lets that information <gasps> compound. Yeah, yeah. Get sleep. Also, please don't try to learn things when you're stressed out. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. You it heard it here. Work. This is it. <laughs> When you're stressed, you can't learn things. <laughs> that comes on the page after the moving video of of the great Dr. <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> then go to bed. So what about, all right, we, we're getting used to async code and, and how to do all that. When, when you're writing it and you're trying to make it good, if there's one thing you want to do, when you're writing any code, not just JavaScript, you want to handle your errors properly. Um, don't do catch all and then pass. And then have that error die silently in your code. Um, but for hand, handling errors specifically in async JavaScript, uh, what what are some common pitfalls that you've you've seen people get themselves into? Mostly, it's been that the error does go silent at some point. Um, that the error is caught and then maybe not rethrown. 
uh, that is a, a big error, uh, a big issue um, with async JavaScript. Silent errors are really the bane of my existence. Um, they're really easy to make happen and very hard not to. Um, but if you're dealing with them, uh, make sure that you're catching appropriately. Make sure you understand how try catch works. Um, make sure you understand the differences between uh, promises. Catching with promises is not the same as catching an async await, and rethrowing errors is also not the same between them. Um, and make sure that they're actually erroring out. I think a lot of the times we just kind of test like one one portion. We're like, oh, cool. It throws an error. Great. And then you forget that that's being called by a whole bunch of other code that could silence the error somehow. And so you have to be really careful um, with that. And then lastly, like make your errors like helpful. <laughs> like you should catch them and probably like rethrow them with like a an actual like helpful message than probably what you're getting back. And and by surface them, we're talking about if if you're developing, you're still getting the wheels turning, like make sure the program crashes and it tells you where it did and it gives you a message. And then if you're running in staging or production and you, you have your stuff running, make sure it logs the error properly. And and it and if it, it does need a crash, make sure it crashes. And if it doesn't need to crash, make sure it continues properly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. like a lot of the times, especially when you're newer to async javascript um you don't know much about error handling in general i think i think we do like maybe a bit of a disservice when we teach async javascript that we don't talk as much about error handling um so you may not realize that in addition to being like yes this thing works you sometimes have to break it and make sure that it breaks properly as well um so again i like to break things if you haven't figured this out um so break break your stuff um make sure that it's breaking appropriately. And to wrap this up, what is one of the most profound differences between the promise-based um, error handling and the async await handling? Or one, of, or one of maybe the nastiest differences that you, know, you had difficulty wrapping your head around at first? Actually, the, there's two things that I struggled with with async await, and it wasn't always error handling. Um, one is that um, promises just like don't block, like they're just non-blocking. And when I got to async await, I got that when I put await in front of a promise, it was going to block. But I didn't always think through the consequences of if I wanted to block or not. And that is actually something that you... I think don't wrap your head around at first because all of the examples for async await are showing you to await the promise. And so I think you kind of get it in your head that like I have to await the promise every time, but you actually don't. Um, it depends on what you want to happen in parallel and what you don't. If you don't await a promise though and it errors out, um, sometimes you aren't so good about catching the error. It's better if you await when you're trying to like catch an error, um, or you have to do try catch to catch it. Um, the other thing that really has tripped me up about async, um, await and promises is that I actually sometimes get confused when switching between them and I will use the wrong syntax which is very annoying um, because I forget when I'm working with async await that once I need to actually call that async function, I need to revert 
back to promises syntax. And so sometimes I'll treat it like a function I can just call and I'll forget that it's doing asynchy things. And I need to also do something with that, like a dot then, or like also do that in another async. And it just becomes a thing that I just like have forgotten because you just think, oh, it's an async function and it's an awaiting and like, it'll be fine. And you forget completely. Yeah, it'll be fine. It will not be fine. <laughs> so raise your errors. Yeah. And surface them. And then, yeah, I guess that that's a really abstract thing to to wrap your head around about what you particularly can draw a circle around about what you struggle with because it's a whole paradigm shift really it's like two different languages and it's like really just like marrying the idea of accomplishing the same thing but with these two whole different paradigms is is is, is difficult and there's a lot that can be bullet pointed about that yeah it's not so simple i think when async await came out there was this immediate push of like um, it's it's better than promises, but it's similar. It's this, it's kind of the same, and like actually, they're not. They're not the same because of the blocking nature. And so, if you want to do the same things that you were doing in the promise, you actually have to be really intentional about when you want to be doing those parallel um, things. And then you're often reaching for promises to do. Like you're using like promise all or promise all settled to like do things in parallel while also awaiting them and then properly catching your errors and async await. So it's a, it's a, it's a shift. It absolutely is. And it can be a while to like wrap your brain around it. Yeah. I feel like those types of shifts are the ones you do when you're like hopping languages and like complete programming languages. And you're just like reorganizing the way you, you organize things right. because of the, the way it does stuff. But now you're doing it in one language. In one language, yeah. And this is why JavaScript gets a bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It Full is. circle. Yeah. All right. Podcast is over. Well, actually, we are, <laughs> we are running up on time. Um, so, you know, it's a good. we're at a good closing point here. Um, Jen, is there anything that you would want to give as closing words of advice or resources that maybe we can link in the description for people looking to, you know, up their skills in this area. I definitely, um, I know you're already going to probably link to the video for the event loop. Please, please do. Please watch it. If you don't understand what we're talking about when we say the event loop, or even if you think you do check it out, it's a really good talk. Um, the other thing that I think is really useful if you are familiar with JavaScript, but you just want to learn async JavaScript a little bit better Execute Program is one of my favorite resources. They have some courses um, that walk you through different examples of things. And I love them in particular because they do show you what it looks like when things break, which has been phenomenal. Um, but also the um, Execute Program is built on the idea of how you learn things is by repetition. And so it will give you exercises that you have to complete before going on to like the other mini lessons. And so I just think it's a really helpful thing. It's been really good for me. Like like we talked about, you're going to get the best sense of things when you're actually practicing it, when you're in the weeds, when you're working with things. And I think Execute Program does that well. Awesome. And are you on Twitter or anything? I am on awesome. the Twitters. Okay. Uh, my handle is girl code girl with a U. Great. Well, thank you for joining us, Jen. Thank you for your time. I'm sure that this podcast is going to find its way to some people that are going to find all the great advice you had very useful i hope so yeah i hope so that that is the hope 
But yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.